Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We are located in Collinsville, Virginia. We are glad you joined us today. If you head over to our webpage, you can find more ways to serve, more sermons like this, as well as opportunities to support this ministry through giving. We pray God's blessing on the hearing and the doing of God's Word. Amen. Let us pray together. Open our hearts and illumine our minds, O God, as we hear your word in our midst. We give you thanks for the gathered community who together receives this word, interprets this word, and does this word with one another. Bless in the sharing and the receiving of your word for us this day. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you as you're able to stand with me as we listen to our gospel lesson this morning. I'm going to pick up in verse 13, but to give you a little... um, background on where we are it's going to say now on that same day now the question that you may have is well what um what is the same day well this is the day that the that the lord has resurrected okay so in luke's gospel we see um that some people respond one way but then you have these two disciples in this episode known as the walk to emmaus And it says, now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of the women of our group, they astounded us, 
They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are! And how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all of the scriptures. And as they came near to the village which, to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But he urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. It's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in, and he stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread. He blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? While he was opening our eyes to the scriptures? That same hour they got up and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And he appeared to Simon. And then they told them about what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them. And the breaking of the bread. Friends, these are the words of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I ask that you would place the cross before me, that none would see me but you and your grace alone. God, we ask this day that our Easter eyes would be opened. And that we might see the joy of your resurrection in our midst. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Just a few weeks ago, we were all gathered together celebrating a tremendous worshiping experience on Easter Sunday. But one of the things that I have found out is is that with many festivals, if not all festivals, on festival days, these high holy days, it tends to be that while one is shouting Hosanna, all the louder is another crying in desperation. We find that here in Luke's Gospel. Before the walk to Emmaus occurs, Luke tells us that These women, they come to the tomb, they find that the tomb is empty, they have this ecstatic experience with these angels, and these angels tell them that the one that they are looking for is not here, but he has risen. 
And he tells them, go back to all of the other disciples and tell them exactly what you saw. Now what we would expect to happen when this thing happens is that the disciples would hear this good news, they would all rejoice, they would give God glory, but the way that Luke talks about the resurrection passage is that this is absolutely not what happens. Almost all of them do not believe. The only one in Luke's gospel that gets up and runs is Peter. And as we find out a little bit later, Peter comes back and tells them what they had seen. But we have today the other side of Easter. The side of Easter that if we're really honest about it, the majority of us live in. Those who experience the blessing of Easter Sunday only to find themselves on the same day that we sing hallelujah to go back and walk the streets. Wondering to ourselves whether or not there is any hope. I find that that's just extremely ironic, the way that Luke tells the story. You know, I think for the majority of us, when we think about the walk to Emmaus, which is a, a story that we all have heard many times, we, we would assume that this, this thing takes place a couple of days later, but it's all happening the same exact day. While some are rejoicing, the others walk with their heads down, devoid of all hope. They are going to a village called Emmaus because as far as they are concerned, nothing is there for them anymore in Jerusalem. Everything that they had built their foundation upon had been lost. Now I find that it's equally ironic that during the same time that we are celebrating this Easter joy, we also find three people of our church, myself, David, and Walter, during the season of Easter heading into a prison. I don't know how many of you have ever been into prison, either as a visitor or as a resident. But, I imagine it's quite like the Emmaus experience. No matter how much joy you have when you walk into that place, it quickly humbles you. As you can't move any further than about ten feet at a time. As soon as you walk in, they, they bring you through a metal detector. They spin you around. They pat you down. You wait. Then you get into this little room with two doors. You walk. Those doors close behind you. The next one opens. You take ten more steps. You're now inside of a sally port that's surrounded by barbed wire. And not that kind of barbed wire that you would think that they have on cows. This is stuff that I could shave my face with. You're surrounded by it. That was our Easter experience. And as we journeyed into this space, we saw people as they came in to greet the Kairos team that seemed to be devoid of hope. Inside of a prison, you don't spend much time walking around. You spend a lot of time sitting in your cells and in your pods. So they took that long walk not to Emmaus, but to the gym. And as they entered into the gym and they sit down with us there, the first day is very awkward. They're skeptical. 
What are you here for? What do you want? What are you trying to sell me? Can I just have my cookies and coffee, please? So that's day one. You just sit there and try to get to know one another. Day two, that's the day where you really find out who's made for prison and who's not. And friends, Walter is made for prison. Because it's not so bad because you're used to sitting in gyms. I've spent my whole life in some sort of gym of one sort or another. But it's all fine and dandy until they bring you your first tray of food. And you look at the food and you say, what on earth is this? And they tell you it's meat rock. And you ask, what is meat rock? And they proceed to say, don't ask. And you eat with them. And then time passes on a little bit longer and a few hours later you eat again and then a few hours later you eat again and then the next day you eat again and at the end of it we ate together with them about seven times. It was eight on the last meal because there came a point on Thursday night where I don't know about Walter but David and I just couldn't take it anymore. We had to go get a big pizza. But we gathered together for the eighth meal on the last day. Each day we were there, we would find them, typically speaking, they would open their trays, discover what's underneath of it, realize they don't want to eat it either, shut their tray and sit it on the ground. But we broke bread all the time because the bread was the only thing good that was there. Every meal had some sort of bread on it. And we'd share it with one another. Each day, as the chaplain tells us, about 70 to 75% of the people that came into that space identified as having no relationship with some sort of supreme being. But each and every day we were there, we did nothing other than to try to provide love. So on the last day, on the eighth meal, we shared together one last time. And I think that it's kind of ironic that in Luke's gospel, Jesus shares eight meals with a variety of people. Seven before his crucifixion, and then one thereafter. The last meal he shares with them. And the last meal that Jesus shares, according to Luke, is with two people who are devoid of all hope. And he shares this meal with them, and he asks them, why do you look so sad? Why do you look so frustrated? Why do you look so angry? And what do they say? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have taken place here? And then they go forward from there. We know you know the things of Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in deed. He was mighty in word before God and all the people. You knew how our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. These people would be great at reciting the Apostles' Creed. You know 
The one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. They had all of the knowledge they needed to know about Jesus. And yet, they still did not recognize him. And they didn't recognize him, even though they knew everything about him, they did not recognize him. And it wasn't until he shared with them the eighth meal. The eighth meal. He was there with them. It was getting late. It was time to go away. The journey was drawing to an end. The people were getting ready to walk out the door, and yet these two say to this stranger, stay with us. Because it's almost evening, and the day is nearly over now. Stay with us. It's almost evening. The day is nearly over now. You see, Jesus at this point, once Jesus stays with them, when they invite the stranger to their table, that is the moment in which Christ becomes visible. He is visible, invisible while he is a stranger. But once the stranger becomes table guest, he is no longer, no longer one who cannot be seen. So I remember on our last meal, the eighth meal at Kairos, we're all sitting there trying to down this food, and we've kind of jibbed and jabbed at each other throughout the time. But on this meal, we had, they said it was corned beef and something. I don't know what it was. But at this meal, something very special happened. After we blessed the food at my table, there was a gentleman. His name was Chris. Chris reached into his pocket, and he had this little tiny bag of seasoning. It was seasoning that you would find like in one of those uh, noodle packets. And he handed it to me. And he said, season your food with this and it'll be okay to eat. You know, for seven meals that we were together, we shared in fellowship, but we didn't recognize one another. I was free. He was incarcerated. I could go get pizza. He had to eat the food. But at this meal, something happened in which I realized that I was not the host of the table. I was actually their guest. And once I realized that I was the guest, I took the seasoning. I seasoned my corned beef And I ate it. And then I ate some more. And then, like Walter, I finished my plate. <laughs> but in the finishing of my plate, what I realized was, I came here to share with you Jesus. But Jesus was already present. I just could not see him. But I found him. 
as those two disciples had found him before in the sharing and in the breaking of bread. Friends, when we gather at a table, we call it the Lord's table. It's not the only table by which grace is administered. What we find is that when we gather at tables with friends, we find ourselves no longer strangers to one another. You see, these two people, Cleopas and this other person that was with him, they, they took it upon themselves to, to look after the well-being of the stranger. They said to him, don't go. And why don't they go? Because it's getting dark. And the darker it is, the more at risk you will be. So come and stay with us. We don't know you, but we want you to have table fellowship with us. We will provide a space for you. And in providing that space together, we will encounter the risen Christ. And that's exactly what they did. You see, when Jesus gathers for the eighth meal, all of the other meals come in light of it. We remember the meals that he sat down with people like Nicodemus. And we see how Nicodemus was challenged of his own ways and sent forth into a new life. So too, every time do we remember and eat with one another. When we eat, we remember. We remember of the one who gave us grace upon grace through table fellowship with one another. You see, the Kairos experience for me was all the sweeter because it was in the season of Easter. We journey through Easter day. We pack the pews. 140 of us. And then we all begin slowly to walk to Emmaus. We get back into the swing of things. We put our heads down. We try to make the grind. But if we're open to it, whether it's in the streets of our own neighborhoods or behind prison bars, Christ has promised to us that he will be known. If we let him through the breaking of bread, through the sharing of table fellowship, through the refusal of allowing strangers to remain strangers. All of us walk to Emmaus at some point. May our eyes be opened. May our hearts be warmed. And may our bellies never grow empty of receiving the grace of God. Amen. God, we give you thanks for the witness of your word that allows us to see that not everyone responds the same way to the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death, and of his resurrection. 
Some of us believe and we hold tight every single day and we just find ourselves filled with hallelujahs and joy. Others of us are like Thomas and we need to see, touch, feel, and examine to make sure that it's true. And others, they may not, are like Cleopas and his friend. We walk our roads, they may not lead to Emmaus, they might just lead back to our house. But we walk there with questions. We leave sometimes devoid of hope. May we be surprised by grace. And may we recognize it in the most unlikeliest of places. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.